The Proclaimers right here on Radio 3 for a Friday afternoon. Join us on Facebook Live if you can, because that's where we are right now as we say hi to our mate James Marsh, the one and only. How are you? I'm okay, mate. mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Are we scraping barrels again today? Join us on Facebook Live if you want. What's going on? Uh, there's a fair amount on Netflix, actually. <laughs> Funny Further that. afield... Further afield, there isn't a great deal, but uh, yes, Netflix is uh, uh, has is having a good week, shall we say? Um, before that, we should probably talk a little bit about the Golden Globes, yeah, uh, whose nominations have been uh, re- released. Uh, you know, always with the Golden Globes, you have to give the caveat that uh, they mean nothing. Uh, <laughs> Why is that then? <laughs> they're voted. They're voted on by idiots who really don't know what they're talking about. You really are sounding like a movie critic these days. Do you realise that? (laughs) Well, good. Surely that's the aim (laughs) at the end of the day. Yes, well, one must ask oneself, why? That's it. Yeah. Asking asking yourself lots of questions. Do I know what I'm talking about? Probably not. Is that going to stop me? I don't think so. Does that matter? Whatever. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, no. the the Hollywood Foreign Press Association are responsible for the Golden Globes, and they are, are a notoriously esoteric bunch they uh, are, are seem to be more motivated by the notion of having dinner with famous people yeah. than awarding quality work. And so often that does motivate their, uh, their voting. And Obviously so none of them listen to Morning Brew, hopefully. <laughs> clearly, clearly not. Clearly not. That's where they've been going wrong, I think. Yeah. And so... Uh, and the other big thing is that in the major categories, film categories, they uh, divide them up between uh, best picture drama and best picture musical or comedy. Yeah. So you always get like a much wider spread of nominations. Um, so they've come out and there have been some big surprises. I mean, I'm very pleased to see things like uh, Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan nominated mm-hmm. for best picture, best for best picture drama, best director, best actress. Um, with you've also got uh, Nomad Land, which I think a lot of people uh, are uh, I think are going to is going to do quite well. I think in a number of categories. I mean, people always look at the Golden Globes as how they're going to impact the Oscars. The Oscars obviously much later this year because uh, January and February of, have been included in the sort of qualifying period. Mm. So the Oscars aren't till the end of April as opposed to the end of February now. Uh, so it just gives more time. It seems to have worked. You're getting a lot of stuff that's just popping up, uh, being released now, is featuring in the uh, in the nominations. Okay. Um, one of the big uh, positive notes. Uh... You've bashed your microphone again, and it's not. It's not. I can't hear you. Which might not be a bad thing. So just whack it around a bit, like you usually do. Just there you go. Hey, just a bit. Thank you. No wonder you go through... Well, I can't hear anything mine. You go through microphones, I bet, surely, yeah. Speaking to uh, Can you hear me now? Not do jujitsu. Can you hear me? It. Yes, I can. Go on. Okay, good. Because I'm not looking at you, and I'm not, I can't hear myself in, the, in my headphones either. Oof, go. No, I really can't hear you now, James. Plug in, but... Can we do a whip round for a new microphone? No, just getting getting close to your microphone and smacking it is not going to help. No, not it's not going to happen. I'm afraid. Just be gentle with your microphone because we want to hear what you've got to say today. Go on, do something. No, I can't hear. I can't hear a sausage you're saying, James. There, there you go. Plug it in. Hey, I saw the plug was hanging out. 
No, plug it in. James, you've broke James. Plug it in. It's like a pin to play this. can do that. Okay. And now you've got me on. Let's do that. And once again, once again, we have splendiferous audio for the Marshy movie time. Anyway, carry on. Okay, so what I was going to say is that one of the uh, categories that is noteworthy this year is Best Director. It's the first time that three women directors have ever been nominated in that category. Yep. You've got Emerald Fennell, who people will know as playing Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown. Mm, yes. Uh, she, she wrote and directed uh, Promising Young Woman, and she has been nominated for Best Director. Uh, Regina King for One Night in Miami, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Mm -hmm. Now, Chloe Zhao is... Uh, I think the first Asian woman ever to be nominated in this category. She is currently the favourite, I think, to go all the way and win the Oscar for Best Director. Right. So that she would only be the second woman. She would obviously be the first Asian woman. Da, 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 lots of boxes sticking there. Lots of um, sort of new glass ceilings broken. Uh, there is some uh, grumblings about Spike Lee's uh, Vietnam movie, uh, The Five Bloods, being shut out completely. Um, I'm not all that surprised. I never quite understood the love for that film anyway. Uh, I think it's a bit of a mess with some good stuff in it, but also uh, it, some bad stuff in it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, David Fincher's big sort of ho Hollywood black and white biopic, Mank, is also seemed to be doing quite well. Okay. So, I mean, we, we shall see. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when they happen relatively soon. Uh, February 28th. What's and your, so we'll what's see, your, what's your opinion, be... so your, your bet or whatever you want to call it? What are you looking at? Well, I can tell you what I'd like. I think Nomadland is going to do very well. I think it's the right balance between uh, sort of worthy message drama and, uh, you know, it's got some big names in it. You know, Francis McDormand stars in it. Uh, Chloe Zhao is definitely rising through the ranks as a very interesting uh, figure in American cinema. Now she's also directing one of the big new Marvel movies coming up. I would like to see Promising Young Woman do very well. I'd like to see Carrie Mulligan actually win. Mm -hmm. I think her main, her main rival for the Oscar, as it stands right now, is Frances McDormand, who's already won twice, and one of those was fairly recently three billboards. So oh, I yeah. think Oscar voted... You know, so she's great. Frances McDormand is brilliant. But I think Carrie Mulligan, as we're going to talk about with The Dig uh, in just a few minutes, she has got incredible range. You know, she's had these two films come out at right right next to each other. And, you know, in, in one, she plays sort of atypically a sort of very sort of stuffy, a slightly frail uh, English woman. And in the other one, she plays this sort of um, angel of American angel of vengeance <laughs> kind of <laughs> character it's from a female woman and obviously that's the flashier part that's the one she's getting attention for and that I think shows her stretching herself as a performer yeah. and I would love to see her recognised in that category yeah awesome alright well that's your that's, that's your bet yeah I would love to see Carrie Mulligan go all the way and she's a Brit so you know Yay. It's always good. do you want to talk I, I, I do like it when you see English English performers be awarded in Hollywood for playing Americans. That just amuses me. Fair enough. So do you, do you want to talk about the dig? We've got five minutes before the news. Well, I was going to wait because I think, I think you've seen it, haven't you? Yeah. So I thought we've probably got a bit more to talk about. But it's about not that. about me. So what? I'll tell you one thing I have, I have heard. I really like the music to it, but I've heard people say, oh, rubbish score. I mean, I disagree. I'm taking a leaf out of your book. However, we'll get on to that. Mm. 
Uh, very quickly, then, let's just talk about uh, Little Big Woman, which is a which is a Taiwanese movie that is um, on Netflix right now. It yeah. opened at Busan last year. It, it was supposed to have its world premiere opening the Hong Kong International Film Festival, but then obviously when that got canned, uh, it ended up premiering at Busan, and then Hong Kong IFF did include it in their little sort of cinefest thing that they had towards the end of last year. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but obviously its premier status had had gone. Um, it's essentially the story of three generations of women in the same family. Uh-huh. Uh, they're all gathered together for the, the, the matriarch's 70th birthday. Uh, on the same day, they, they hear news that her estranged husband, who she hasn't seen for 20 years, has just died. And she's like, oh, that's typical. He's always trying to ruin everything. <laughs> and even now on my... <laughs> on my 70th birthday, he's ruining that by, by dying. How dare he? Um, and so the family is already together. She says, okay, I'm going to still celebrate. But while we're all here, she decides to arrange the funeral. And she's very stubborn about having it in Tainan, which is her hometown, rather than Taipei, which is where his new woman uh, wants to have it. A new woman that the, 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 um, the matriarch here refuses to have ever met, even though they've been together for like more than a decade. Right, right. All the daughters have, have have met her and know her and the granddaughter, but everybody knows her except, except her. Um, and obviously, as is always the case in these kind of stories, as the family members come together, you've got these three adult daughters. You know, you've got the eldest daughter, played by Vivian Hsu, who is a um, successful uh, plastic surgeon. You've got the second daughter, played by... Um, Shaking, Shaying uh, Shuan, I think is how you say her Shaking name. Shaking Stevens. These these Thai, Taiwanese names are really tricky. Yes. Uh, who's like the sort of the, the wayward, sort of free spirited middle middle daughter who's uh, going through a divorce and has also just been diagnosed with cancer, and she's keeping that very much to herself. And then the younger daughter who has taken over the family restaurant and turned it into actually something quite impressive. Mm. So as they all sort of come together, obviously egos and um, heads butt also it unearths a lot of old baggage and secrets and grudges and all the rest of it. So this is not doing anything new. You know, we've seen this kind of movie before. I mean, Ang Lee's Eat, Drink, Man, Man Woman is a classic example of this. There are plenty more of this kind of sort of family drama where it's the clash of generations where, you know, which comes first, whether tradition should win out or whether modernity should win out. You know, there are these women who not interested in getting married and having kids. You know, they want to pursue their career or, or what have you. We've seen a few and of these, notable, haven't we? Really? We have, we have. But what's notable is that this is a story, as, as the title might suggest, it's called Little Big Women, and it's all about women and the lives of these women. But how this one guy, you know, the, who's, who's dead as well, <laughs> his shadow manages to sort of cast... So, you know, he still manages to have such a grip and such an influence over all of their lives, even from beyond the grave. Um, I actually quite liked it. You know, it's it's not normally the type of style of film that I like. It's one of these very sort of slow moving um, dramas where it's a lot of characters just sitting around not saying the things that they should be saying, (laughs) not discussing the topics that they should be or addressing the issues they should be addressing. you know, ego and selfishness always getting in the way, uh, you know, traditional family hierarchies always interfering and causing unnecessary problems, which is very frustrating, you know, to watch. But it's done incredibly well and the performances are very good. 
uh, Chen Chu Fang, who plays the uh, the grandma, if you like, whose seventieth birthday it is. Mm. She won Best Actress at the Golden Horse Awards in Taiwan for it. Yeah. She also won Best Supporting Actress that same year. So she won both of the big acting awards uh, for a film called Dear Tenant, which I didn't like quite so much. But this one actually was very impressive. And unfortunately, it, what's most frustrating is I can't pronounce Shei Ying Shan's name correctly because she, in my opinion, is the best thing in it. <laughs> well, you're doing quite well. Uh, join, us on, join us on Facebook Live if you can, if you want to join in. After the news, what are you going to do? News is coming up in a little while. Well, we will talk about The Dig. And also I want to talk about a Spanish uh, action thriller that's on Netflix called Below Zero. Righty-ho. Well, sit tight. We'll come back in just a little while with more marshy movie time. Right. Well, it's 29 minutes to one o'clock, so let's carry on and get into the goodies with Marshy. Join us on Facebook Live if you want to join in. Love to hear from you. What do you got? Okay. Can you hear me, first of all? Yes. I... Okay, great. <laughs> all right, well, let's talk about The Dig, which is a new British drama, again, on Netflix, uh, adapted from the novel by John Preston, uh, by Moira Buffini, and directed by Simon Stone. It's set in 1939 in Suffolk. You know, England is on the brink of war, yeah. and um, <clears throat> Ray Fiennes plays Basil Brown, who is a, a, a sort of an ageing, self-taught archaeologist and excavator who is commissioned to dig up a few mounds at the bottom of the garden of Edith Pretty, who is a wealthy, if rather frail and, and sickly, young widow who yeah. has a sort of precocious young son as well. Now, Basil Brown, uh, at, he, he has no sort of formal education in the field, as I said, but you know, he, he claims that he can, uh, he can identify any handful of dirt from anywhere in Suffolk and he can tell you exactly which well, field it's from. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to do the accent, but you feel free. Great, uh, so what, what he does, of course, is um, they, he, he digs up the mounds as requested and they find a literal gold mine. They found the find the burial ground. Of at first, it looks like it might have been like a Viking warrior or king, and he suggests it might be even earlier than that. Uh, at which point, they call in the authorities from the British Museum or the, and the Ipswich Museum and where have you, who try and muscle him out. You know, the, there's a lot of snobbery suddenly sort of uh, comes into play, where but from these academics and intellectuals from, you know, the establishment, if you like, who look at him as little more than a kind of, a, just a worker, a labourer. Yeah, exactly. Well, he, and, yeah. Uh, whereas persistently, he, he sort of proves to them that he knows as much, if not more, than them. And to her credit, Edith Pretty sticks up for him most of the way. It's a true story, more or less. It is. It's the story of Sutton Who is the name of the, of the site, uh, and it w did turn out to be an Anglo-Saxon king, they think, from about 624 AD, I think is when he was buried. And he's buried in a big ship with lots of gold. Uh, one particular, I mean, the most famous thing retrieved from the site actually is time later, which is the helmet, the sort of masked gold, sort of bronze, I think it was, helmet, which anybody who's ever picked up a school textbook that deals with the Anglo-Saxons will immediately recognise that helmet because that helmet has become kind of emblematic of Anglo-Saxon Britain because it is the, the best fossil, if you like, that we have, the best mm -hmm. relic we have from that period. Now, what I did like about this film were the, the performances straight up front are, are great. Ray Fiennes doing his best Suffolk accent, 
uh, as Basil Brown. I think this is the best thing I've seen him in since probably the Grand Budapest Hotel. Amazing acting, um, truly. He is... Yeah. You know, he's a guy who knows his own mind. He's unassuming. He doesn't like to blow his own trumpet, but he has a trumpet and it is a very good, good shiny one. <laughs> you know, he is incredibly sort of accomplished in what he does, but he knows his station in life, you know, and he's he's been down this road so many times uh, that he's kind of prepared just to let what will happen happen. And yeah. if he can just get on with his work, he'll be quite happy. Edith Pretty's character by Kerry Mulligan, as I said, this is the more traditional side of Carrie Mulligan, the actress that we're used to seeing. She does a lot of sort of very sort of stately, very uh, proper uh, English English women kind of period roles. This is this is where we know her from. This is her wheelhouse kind of thing. And she is good, and she's very good in this particular role. It's an interesting character because uh, she is a woman who has sort of dedicated her life to upholding the legacy of um, her late husband, her late father, and now identifies that it's her young son is really going to be the only thing that uh, that you know that, that that proves that she ever existed. She knows that her time is limited. Now, what I found most fascinating about the film is this is a story about uh, legacy and yeah. about memory and and about leaving your mark on the on the world, as it were. You know, you've got uh, obviously this. Uh, what fifteen hundred year old tomb of that nobody knew was there, and all of a sudden it is there, and people are discovering who this guy is for the first time in hundreds of years. On the other hand, you've got Basil Brown, uh, whose name was left off all of these discoveries for many, many years, and is being pushed to the side by people who want who wants to secure their own place in history. And all they care about is getting their name on the find, as it were. You've got Basil Brown, who is responsible for all of this work, kind of going, you know, I'm easy. Yes, of course, I want the credit, but I'm not going to fight for it. Mm. That's not what's important to me. So it's this fascinating sort of story of uh, just, you know, leaving your mark, essentially sort of about the fleeting nature of human life at the same time about sort of, the permanence of our legacy or the potential permanence of our legacy. Can I chuck something in here about legacy? Firstly, I just want to say hello to Steve. He said four people recommended the dig to him. He really wants to see it. Yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up because something about legacy hit me as well, but it's not what you're talking about. So, I mean, I don't, okay. I don't think it's giving away too much to say that they find things. Um, and Basil Brown <laughs> spends most of the movie telling us and them that this is a burial ground so then what do they yeah. do they take everything away i mean those were the days but i don't <clears> understand <throat> that if it but if if you know they're coming in to literally pillage <laughs> the, the anglo-saxon thing they find and they take everything away and it kind of really hit me basil's going it's a burial ground it's a burial ground you don't do that to burial grounds science or no just mm. just what i yeah think. no it's, it, it, no, it's, you're right. It's the great irony of it. I mean, when they're looking at the mounds before they even start digging, he's like, well, we shouldn't go for that one because if you see the indentations show that it's been pillaged in the past by grave robbers. Yeah. So we've got a better luck going and then here. And, they bring, up <laughs> and they, br they bring up what was still relatively recent news, or probably like 10 years earlier, was Harold Carter finding the tomb of Tutankhamun in Egypt and what have you. And that was one of the few Egyptian tombs that hadn't been robbed, essentially, in grave robbed. And so... You know, you've got this story of like searching for something, and and the um, 
and wanting to preserve it and keep it the way it is. But at the same time, there is this compulsion, like you said, just to pillage it, just to take everything away. Even if you're going to put it in a museum, it's like you can't help but didn't once, you've, once you've found it, once you've dug it up, taking it away. And there was more symbolism in this one because they find a big thing. Mm. I mean, it's in the mm. blurb. I really want to be careful here. But they find a big thing, and in that big thing are small things. And if that big thing is a burial ground, there's something really horrible about leaving that burial ground empty i think one of the one thing i found fascinating was that the brown points out actually is the fact that uh because it's a burial ground there needs to be a coroner's report even though it's you know 1500 years ago there's no body there's no body or anything like that he's like oh no now we've identified it as a burial ground you have to get the coroner in. but it's okay to nick everything Anyway, yeah. we could. Yeah, you, know. you can nickel. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, I mean, the other thing to point out is that this is happening sort of at, you know, the backdrop are, you know, for, on the one hand, these gorgeous Sussex, Suffolk skylines, hmm. but also they're right next to an RAF base and war is imminent. And Indeed. you're always seeing these 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 planes flying over all the time and characters do get kind of called up. There is. Uh, a subplot involving sort of Ben Chaplin, Ben Chaplin's archaeologist, and he brings along his young wife, uh, Peggy, played by Lily James. His young beard. Um, well, yes. Well, as it turns out, yes, his young, his young beard. And there is this kind of sort of romantic sort of love triangle between sort of three or four young characters that kind of goes on uh, on the sidelines. And that stuff is less interesting to me, than all the archaeology that's going on and all the, the, the power struggles that are going on. But I thought even more interesting, and tying in with the idea of legacy and what have you, is that the, the Peggy character, who is a, a real, far more accomplished archaeologist than the film and the novel upon which the film is based, was um, paints her as. The book was written by John Preston, who is her nephew. Oh, yeah. And so actually, her nephew is somewhat responsible for diminishing her role in all of this which i thought was rather rather sort of curious and strange i haven't read the book but i'm assuming uh that this love story element is from the book the way that it's the way that it's portrayed but certainly in the film her role and accomplishments as an archaeologist are, com are heavily diminished. Here she's seen just as sort of a ditzy klutz who doesn't really know what she's doing, and she's being dragged along, yes, by her, her husband, her ambitious young husband, who might even have ulterior motives for being there at all, um, when that is not the case. And also um, a fictional character who's thrown in is the young male photographer, when in fact actually on the dig uh, in at the time, mm. it was two young women who were the photographers there, but that doesn't fit in with the love triangle. Certain and things so they have been changed. certain things have to be peppered and salted, don't they? I mean, it's a movie. <laughs> well, they, well, let's say let's say the other way around. Certain things have been peppered and salted, and whether in the current climate that really needs to keep happening, particularly when you're talking about the idea of of legacy and and the purity of history and all the rest of it. Um, it was that was a slightly sort of a slight misstep for me. That having said, it didn't really diminish um, my enjoyment of the film. Right, I'll tell you what, I mean, no question, Ray Fiennes is absolutely brilliant. I mean, in everything he does, he plays old... Mm. I, I said to a friend, um, that's Voldemort. She said, what? <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, he's, he's just... He, he plays older brilliantly. Although, Basil, I worked yeah. it out, would only have been about 51 or something. So I think, again, they played him considerably older, I think. But why would we, why, how do I put it? How, why would we want to watch this film? Who's it going to appeal to and why? I mean, I know, but what do you think? 
Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's funny you say that because actually Ray Fiennes is not as old as you might think. No, uh, he's only late. He's only is like mid to late fifties. Yes. But um, I guess I, I guess actually, they, I guess they had to work it with Basil's character again. This willing abandonment of disbelief thing, just to really finesse it, just to um, you know, hello there, he's from Suffolk, and so he's supposed to look a bit old and a bit like a farmhand because it really mm-hmm. it, it rams it home to he's, us, doesn't it? He's he's weather beaten, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. You know, he has worked the earth, and it shows. Um, yes. So sorry, what was your what was your question before that? It was why yeah why would people want to see this? Yeah, what's your well, recommendation? You know, Tell us why we should go and see it. I think. I mean, the, the the most frustrating thing is that we have to watch this on Netflix because while I am fine with that most of the time, it's a beautiful. It's <laughs> it's a handsome film. Yeah. You know, it mm. is. Uh, in the, the cinematography is gorgeous. It captures a very pretty part of the world rather beautifully. And it's a damn shame, I think, that we have to watch it on our TVs regardless of how I, I'm big I'm just glad are. I could see it, but I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee that this would have got much of a release in Hong Kong anyway, quite frankly, because, I mean, regardless of the fact that it's got big names in it, it's not that kind of film that's necessarily going to play that well here. However, it is... It's it's a beautiful film. It's got these great central performances in it, uh, and it, uh, in my opinion, is about sort of a fascinating, the rediscovery of a fascinating period of history, and just this idea that uh, the importance of just leaving one's mark on the world and leaving something of yourself to be remembered. All right, we got time for one more for, for a great for a great <laughs> egotist like me. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing that right now. Uh, what do you got? Well, yes, so this is going to be in the National Library archives <laughs> forever. Um, okay, one last one. Also on Netflix. Everything is on Netflix this week, I'm afraid. Sorry, 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 Amazon. Um, Below Zero is a Spanish action thriller uh, that stars Javier Gutierrez as a cop. He's just been transferred to a new department, and his first assignment is to pair up with another guy who has a bit of a bad track record and sort of uh, chauffeur a prisoner transfer. Now, as we know from action movies and thrillers, prisoner transfers never go smoothly. And now we've got six prisoners in one of these big armoured trucks. So I have not seen an armoured truck like this. It's not, they're they're in individual cells, locked in individual cells within the truck. Uh, And they have to go down the back roads in the middle of the night. It's winter. And as the title below zero might suggest, it's very, very cold. Uh, Needless to say, um, something goes down on one of these back roads in the middle of the night and some kind of prison break uh, stroke ambush is set in motion. Now, one of the prisoners on board is this notorious Romanian gangster who's run sort of child pornography rings and prostitution rings and it seems very likely to be behind what's going on. A couple of the others... There's an accountant, like a gangster's uh, mafia uh, accountant is also on there. But you're not quite sure exactly what the motivations for this particular prison break is. You know, who is pulling the strings from outside? Very quickly, the main cop lock themselves within the truck. Someone or someones are outside threatening them. Uh, They can't get in. The prisoners have the one key and they can't get out. So a sort of standoff ensues. Now, we've seen a number of these sort of close-quartered Spanish-language films in recent years. The Platform was a good one. Um, Argentinian film 4x4 about a man trapped in a car and someone's manipulating that situation from the outside. Uh, Even 
even the Ryan Reynolds from uh, Buried, what was where the... he's literally. I was, I was going to say, what about? I mean, that's that scenario, that setup. The guy in the phone box can't get out because there's a sniper looking at him and all that sort of stuff. It's called it's called phone booth. Boom. Yeah, that one. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of them. Um, even even the Ryan Reynolds from Buried is actually a Spanish movie. It just happens to be have been made in English with a Canadian star. So what do you um, So they do this. I okay. It's, so it starts off like essentially Con Air in a truck, but it does take some in, some interesting turns. It, it the second half does go in a sort of an unexpected way, and it ends on a real gut punch. So I was quite sort of pleasantly if you one can be pleasantly surprised by a gut punch um pleasantly surprised by what it did with the formula it presented to me fantastic some good stuff from james today so remind us what to see you didn't hate anything and in fact i think you rather like i didn't yeah what have we got today uh that's right okay so this is a spanish thriller called below zero there is also the dig and there is also little big women taiwanese drama all of those are on netflix right now all right marshy take care brilliant stuff talk to you next week bye bye for now that is james marsh let's see what's going on